In the dead of night, when the moon is high and ill winds blow, and the banshees cry and the moonlight casts an unearthly glow, arise, my love, with tales of woe. Good evening, it is 12 midnight, the paranormal hour. Welcome to Ghost to Ghost. I'm your host, Chief Lawson. Ghost to Ghost is a podcast to discuss all paranormal and parapsychology subjects. You can find Ghost to Ghost on all major formats, so tell your friends, tell your family. Come listen to Ghost to Ghost. Hi, welcome to Ghost to Ghost. I'm your host, Chief Lawson, and tonight's reading will be Skyle's Test in his House of Blue Lights. This is a legendary story of Indiana. I think any person growing up in the 60s, 70s, 50s probably knew of Skyle's Test. When he was alive, millionaire Skyle's Test was many different things to many different people. A successful businessman, eccentric, an inventor, and an architect. Born in 1889, Test had an insatiable appetite for learning new things. He wanted to know about everything and anything. And although he was an heir to the enormous diamond chain company Fortune, he wanted to make a name for himself. So as he grew older, Test got involved in several business ventures, all of which were successful. Most notably, his serving as president of the Annapolis Motor Inns and his own company, Test Reality Corporation. All this meant to test was a millionaire by the time he was reached his early 20s. In 1913, Tess married Josephine Dinge. At around the same time, he began buying up land around Annapolis, including approximately 80 acres and a small farmhouse along what is today known as Fall Creek Road. This is a spot where Tess built his uh, dream home. But more than that, the ample acreage as well as what appeared to be money to burn allowed Tess to fuel his uh, yearning to create anything his heart desired. Tess first set his mind to renovating the farmhouse. The most stunning additions were entire walls made of glass block. Over the years, Tess built an amazing, mind-boggling series of structures on his property. And he installed a miniature railroad that allowed him to travel across his immense tract of land. Knowing that winter weather would make it impossible for the railroad to run, Tess built a series of tunnels to allow him to move building to building without a problem hampered by the weather. But by all accounts, Tess saved the best work for a swimming pool. Using a massive 40 by 80 foot pool at his starting point, Tess decided he wanted to have several diving boards, all at varying heights. As for, as for he was concerned having a simple ladder to... Uh, I'm sorry, I had to turn pages. Uh, ladder to the diving boards was the easy way out. So he built a multi-story bathhouse, complete with a basement, with the diving boards emerging from the structure. Test even installed an elevator to shuttle divers from floor to floor. But why a basement? Well, not only could Test use it to house all the machinery of the pool, but because he had used glass block along the bottom of the pool. He could string colored lights along them, thereby illuminating the water at night. Test even developed a motorized surfboard for the pool. 
If there's one thing that Tess loved more than inventing things, it was animals. While the property was at first home to just a few dogs and barn cats, the number of animals soon grew to well over 200. Rumor has it that there were so many animals that Tess employed staff members whose sole responsibility was to feed and look after them all. That job, of course, also required employees to take a, on a very odd task. Whenever an animal passed away on the property, Tess would have the employee place it in a casket and give it a formal burial in the pet cemetery located on the property, complete with its own little limestone tombstone and copper nameplate. It is said that at one point, just to make sure that they were ready for unexpected death, staff members had built up a stockpile of tiny tombstones and coffins. Needless to say, with all these unique and exciting things to see on Tess property, many people wanted to visit. So it's no surprise that the house became the site of many lavish parties which Tess and Josephine enjoyed to no end. They would decorate the entire property, especially during the Christmas season, when Tess wove endless strings of blue lights. Blue was his favorite color, through the trees. But these things were not all fun and games in the Test household. As years rolled on, Skiles and Josephine grew further and further apart. One Christmas in the 1930s, the blue lights went up and never came back down. Shortly thereafter, the couple divorced and Josephine moved off the property. And that... And with that, all the components were finally in place for the birth of the House of Blue Lights. No one really is sure the legend where it originated from, but once it started, it spread like wildfire across Indianapolis. According to the legend, Josephine had passed away and sent Skiles into a deep depression. Unable to part with her, Skiles decided to instead keep her body at the farmhouse, entombed inside a glass casket. He often escorted uh a re I'm sorry, he often resorted to spending entire evenings sitting silently by Josephine's casket, overcame by grief. Further it was alleged that the blue lights were test tribute to his departed wife, as blue was said to be her favorite color. In truth, Josephine was alive and well. In fact, she was outlived Skiles by almost 15 years. Still, local teenagers and curiosity seekers would sneak onto the property under the cover of darkness and attempt to see the dead Mrs. Test lying in a glass casket. The grave rise to another rumor. This gave rise to another rumor, I'm sorry, that the test was trained a group of attack dogs to stand guard over the casket and chase away trespassers. Even so, dozens of people still claim to have caught a glimpse of Skiles Test sitting quietly beside the glass casket bathed in blue light. But just what were these people seeing? Were they simple mistaken mistaken identities taking one of the tiny caskets made for farmhouse animals as the one that housed Josephine? Possibly. But the caskets for the pets were made of wood, not glass. As it was stated earlier, Josephine was still alive, so who was lying in the casket? That is the question all Indianapolis was asking Skiles, was asking when Skiles Test passed away on March 19, 1964. And they got their chance to find out when it was announced that the public auction was going to be held on the property to sell test material goods. When auctioneers arrived on the property to assess the situation, they were overwhelmed with the amount of things that they decided that would need to hold a three-day auction if they were ever to stand a chance of getting rid of, the, of everything there. During the auction, it is estimated that more than 50,000 people crammed onto the property, and while 
Most were looking to just find a bargain. There was a, no denying that everyone was keeping their eyes peeled for a glass casket that would be holding human remains. And while there were huge stockpiles of foodstuffs, household items, tiny wooden caskets, not a single glass casket was found. As for the blue lights, they were sold off to the buyer whose name remains a mystery. Tests will call for the property, including the farmhouse and all the outbuildings, to be turned over to the Department of Parks and Recreation and made into a Boy Scout camp. After many years of legal wrangling, the decision was made to abandon plans for the camp and instead turn into a nature park. In 1978, the Test Farmhouse and all the buildings, including the pool house, were demolished. But even the destruction of the house itself wasn't enough to keep the House of Blue Lights legend down. Although nothing remains of the house, visitors to Scow's Test Nature Park have reported encountering something unexplained along its many trails. In the hours, especially evening hours, the woods near where the Test Farmhouse once stood is said to come alive with mysterious blue lights, which was throughout the trees as if they had a mind of their own. There was supposed to be one spot in particular where it appears as if the entire area is bathed in an eerie blue glow. I want to share a couple things uh, with this story because actually I have a little background with this. Uh, one of the gentlemen, another firefighter, uh, told the story back in the 60s and then the book related to the fact that there was uh, guard dogs on the property. And um, I don't know if they were trained to guard the casket, but they were trained to keep people out and they were Dobermans. And uh, he had ventured there, climbed the fence to see the legendary blue casket. And the one thing that became very evident very fast was is, is a question whether you could make it to the fence in 6.3 seconds, which is what was figured that the Dobermans could make it to the fence. He barely missed getting clipped as he went over top, tore his pants and his leg up on the pub wire. And he never got to see, needless to say, the... the, the, the uh, the casket uh when the uh, auction happened and i remember most of this in the 70s when the auction happened the mirage shrine railroad club inherited pieces of the track of the original train that ran around there and i believe one of the engines or cars i'm not sure which i, I don't quote me on that because i don't know for sure but they did have some of that donated to the railroad club and the railroad club is now defunct but it had a railroad room in the top of the mirage temple and that was where that was kept and uh but yeah, it was uh, during the 60s, it was a test of manhood to go over the fence and go see the casket. And there was a lot of lavish stories that she was in this glass casket and kept uh, for that purpose. And then there was a, a story that the glass casket was kept underwater in the pool with blue lights on the pool. And the blue lights were to preserve the flesh. And oh my God, the, the folklore continued. And I, the first time I heard it... I was totally unaware of the story of as most Hoosiers were, and I was probably in junior high school. And I was in the 70s, so by this time, it was just a derelict farmhouse and everything was, and they kept trying to keep people out. The property is still there. Uh, you can go see, and if you put on your uh, good set of hiking boots, you can find the actual base to the house. The pool's been filled in, but sometimes if the ground settles well enough, there's concrete around the edges you can still see, because I've walked on that before. Um, the train track, all that stuff is gone. I mean, there's nothing there other than the bases. But if you want to hike back up into that property, and it sits in a really odd location, truthfully, but it, it, it is a, uh, it's a neat folklore. It's really something that uh, goes back and speaks to Indiana in itself. I think everybody in the 60s went through that. So Definitely, because that is the very first folklore that I remember hearing. My mother went to Ladywood High School, which mm -hmm. is now Cathedral High School. Oh, yes. 
And she would tell stories about the boys trying to take the girls from Ladywood out to the Skiles Test House of Blue Lights to get all scared up for the night. Oh, yes. It, it It's definitely probably had its height in the 60s. I think that was probably the mark for it. Well, folks, we hope you enjoyed our story. And uh, that came from Haunted Indiana by James A. Willis. Ghosts and Strange Phenomena of the Hoosier State. Make sure you pick up a copy. It's a great read. And we thank you for listening to Ghost to Ghost. Uh, please tune in 15th of every month at midnight. In the meantime, take care of yourself. Thank you for listening. All right, listeners. Welcome to Ghost Story of the Day. Today's presenter will be Jennifer Verne, our research manager on spirit. So today's podcast has been very story heavy, but we still want to end with the ghost story of the day. Today's will be a ghost a day from Maureen Wood and Ron Kolick. Five to four Fred. New Burgerland, the Belper Arms, has been one of the most popular pubs in this region for centuries. Visitors come to enjoy good food and spirits every day at five minutes to four. Just like clockwork, Freddy arrives. He always has a cold air about him as he makes himself known by stroking unsuspecting women's faces and giving the men a good squeeze with a cold, clammy hand. And not being politically correct type of guy, he often gives the lassies a good pat on the bottom. Five to four Fred, as the locals call him, certainly is a character, even if he is dead. Thanks again for listening to Ghost to Ghost. I am your host, Chief Lawson. You will find Ghost to Ghost on all major formats on the 15th of the month starting at midnight and every 15th of the month thereafter. If you'd like to be a guest on our show, maybe have a question or subject you'd like to ask about on air or be used on the show, please email us at ghost to ghost at spiritindiana.com. Again, this is ghost to ghost at spiritindiana.com. I want to thank my production staff on Spirit for helping me make these podcasts possible. Until then, see you next time. Stay safe. And remember, the truth is out there. Ghost Ghost Podcast and its contents is the property of Spirit Paranormal LTD, all rights reserved. We welcome you to download and play the podcast and share it with others for personal use. You may not accept with written permission, use, or distribute its contents for commercial use. Spirit Indiana Paranormal, covering the Hoosier State since 2002, Indy's oldest parapsychology investigation group. If you are experiencing what you believe to be paranormal issues, reach out to us for help at www.spiritindiana.com or at our hotline, 317-883-9103. Again, that is www.spiritindiana.com or our hotline at 317-883-9103. Thank you for listening.